Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. You know it. Trashy divorces. Trashy divorces. End of season two. Putting a lid on this like CJ Craig. Boom. Our lit it. Arbitrarily defined episode season plop. Because we can't read a calendar. We're pretty bad at calendars, in truth. Hey, Um, y'all. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for two seasons of Trashy Divorces. Mm-hmm. It's amazing. Stacy. how many countries were getting a whole new world geography lesson? It goes up a whole lot all the time, but right now we are sitting at 121 countries where we, this podcast has been downloaded, which is like mind boggling. I didn't I, know there were 100. Like I, We're I, learning. I, we're going to figure out how many countries there are to know like how far we can go with that metric. Thanks, listeners. Thanks for taking a chance on our trashy little podcast. Thanks for telling your friends and laughing with us and crying with us when you walk your dogs on Sunday morning. Thanks for emailing us mm-hmm. with your hidden trash candy stories that delight us in ways that you'll never know. I really do need to get better about a tears warning. There are some tears in this up. There are some tears uh, in your part of this up. Uh, y'all are the very best. Thanks for tuning in and getting on board with the team trash candy that we are. Totally. Yeah. Over on Patreon. Incredible. Yeah. I think we're at 88 right now. Patrons. 88. What the hell is that about? It's, it's outstanding. We appreciate your support so much. So if you're into Patreon, you can't get enough trashy divorces. There are a few different levels over there for two bucks a month. You can get early ad, free access to episodes, some stickers, a Magic Mirror shout-out, and bonus content of our Trashy Tidbits on Tuesdays and Thursdays. And if you think that is a deal, what do the people get for five bucks, Stacey? A dollar and a quarter a week. For five dollars. Gosh, you get all of that. And uh, then there are the limited series like Fun With Done, Trashy Tutors, 10 bucks a month, you get all that, plus two bonus divorces every month, one by each of us, for stories a little too scandalous or off the beaten track. You and I are both loving the community that is building on Patreon. If you like what we're doing here, you can't get enough trashy divorces, please consider joining us over there. It is bonus content bonanza. It really is. We have kind of gotten into a routine where we're recording, I don't know, like four days a week with stuff. Good Lord. Um, yeah. All the time. It's neat. I we're mean, trying to fun. give you a value. We really enjoy doing this. And anyway, so that's very cool. Um, Alicia, do you think we can maybe get to 100 patrons by the end of June? I don't know. What do we do if we get 12 more patrons by the end of the month? What do you want us to do? We're in to make a goal. Yeah. Let's talk about who did join us yeah, on Patreon Magic Mirror this time. week. Stacey, who you got? I have Regina, Jessica, Kelsey, and Nicole. 
Oh, Vanessa and Margaret and Elizabeth and Shannon. Nice. Then we have Tiffany, Jacob, Erica, and Jen. Welcome to the Patreon community, folks. Yep. We hope you enjoy. Super fun over there. Welcome. Get caught up. And hey, end of season two this week's episode. Filled with triumph and tragedy. All of it. Ah, girls with guitars, Mary Chapin Carpenter. If you don't know about Mary Chapin Carpenter, you should get to know her. This particular song, Girls with Guitars, was released in June 1994 as the fifth single from the album Tell Me Why by Wynonna Judd. Song reached number 10 on Billboard Hot Country Singles and Tracks chart. Wynonna's mama, Naomi, who we may have some feelings about soon, and Lyle Lovett sing background on the song. Mary Chapin Carpenter's a badass. I will talk about her anytime I can. Does she have a trashy divorce? She doesn't have the trashiest of divorces, but she is going to be the theme song to the Ernest Hemingway divorce coming in season three. I love her. Okay. More tears. Future warning. Okay. Who do you have this week for Girls With Guitars? We have two country western music tragedies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Triumphs and tragedies. Yeah, super. Uh, I've got uh, Shania Twain, Mm. whose life has just had deep, deep lows and tall, tall highs. And I, she is resilient in ways that it's hard to even capture. She's just super cool, highly emotive. All the halos. Totally competent. Frequently misunderestimated. I believe that's the word. Yeah, try me. Yeah. Yeah. Who you got? Why Nona? Why Nona? All she needs is a name. Yeah. She did drop Judd and took on her last husband's name when they married in 2012, Mosier. But why Nona? You just need one name and all the country song that is that story. There are tears. There are tears. It's a country song. You got everything. Pull out your trashy divorces bingo card, y'all. All right. You ready to take our country and Western garbage out, Alicia? Giddy up. Giddy up. Let's do it. Let's do it. Hey, Stacy. Hey, Alicia. I know whose bed your boots have been under this week. Uh research <laughs> research learned, wise my research boots your research boots have been under super busy a research bed talk to me tell me about your trashy divorce of the week it's uh it's it's the wife swap that swamped nashville it's i don't know it's got it's it's a little trashy and surprisingly it is a very wholesome person who we all know as shania twain tell me yeah, she, I know the high-level details, but I want to hear your rendering sure. of how this trash baggery happens. Right. She is, to be clear, which, spoilers, not a trash bag, unless my alternate theory of the case oh. is true. But let's let's get there. Let's now, get there. I think Shania's already got halos in my world, but okay. All right. Let's go. Well, the Shania twin you think you know is a fraud because her real name is Eileen. I don't know if you knew that. Come on, Eileen. No, I'm kidding. Shania Twain was born Eileen Regina Edwards. She was born into pretty tough circumstances, like 
Her mom, uh, she was born in rural Ontario, Canada. Her parents divorced when she was but two years old. She has two, two sisters at this point. A few years later, her mother, name of Sharon, marries Jerry Twain. New stepdad. New stepdad. Gotta be um, great to her. He adopts, we're gonna just go with Shania, since that is the name everyone knows her by, okay. who is not a close friend of hers. Anyway, so um, he adopts Shania, who is still Eileen at that point, but come on. And her two sisters. I, I think you mean, come on, Eileen. Come on, Eileen. <laughs> uh, her two sisters, Jill and Carrie Ann. And later, Sharon and Jerry have a son, Mark. And then they adopt Jerry's nephew, Daryl, after Daryl's mother dies. Okay, so like it is very quickly a very big family. But Daryl probably had no place to go if they didn't adopt him. I would think. Like, they're kind of an abject poverty. Right. Well, and it's worth noting, too, that Jerry is part of the Ojibwe First Nations. I'm not even sure. As an American, we would say Native American, but obviously in Canada, it is First Nations. Native Canadian First Nations. First Nations people. So I don't, you know what? Like, please, Canadian listeners, let me know how I should be phrasing that. Like, Jerry Twain is First Nations. He is Ojibwe. I am anyway. So, hey to, Canada, so, thanks for tuning in. You, but rock. but I think the let us know. I think the family network thing, like there's a there there are layers to this that include ethnicity. That like there's just a lot happening here. Is, okay, talk to is me. kind of my point. However, they are very 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 poor, and like food was scarce. Like this family frequently went hungry, and. The area that, that young Shania is growing up in is really, it's dependent on resource extraction. So it's like timber and minerals. There are like gold and copper mines, stuff like that. But that type of industry is really subject to boom and bust cycles. Yeah. So, yeah. So, Yikes. So like for years, stuff was really, really hard on this family. And there was, she also, um, Jerry beat her mother. I don't know if it was a frequent thing, but she certainly witnessed Jerry beat her mother. Did Jerry beat the kids or just the mom? Not that I, not that I have seen indication of. Not just the mom. That sounded not at all correct. These are difficult topics to talk about. Kids should in no way be, no woman should be responsible for bearing that. No kid should be responsible for seeing that. Agreed. But, you know, it is, uh, it's a family structure where there's just a lot of stress because there is scarcity like it's it's tough it's a tough situation she is very afraid that if her school finds out that they're going hungry that you know dad hits mom like that the school will call authorities break the family up so shania from a very young age is very driven to keep the family together like Mm. that is that is like a core childhood thing yeah that again you're just you're completely right this is not stuff that should be on the shoulders of a seven-year-old but here we are now your childhood things sure stay with you to adulthood Mm -hmm. stay tuned for my story indeed yeah yeah so um shania uh in order to help out or i mean take your pick because her parents were exploiting her take your pick for real so she has always lifelong love of music lifelong interest in music early display of musical talents when shania is eight years old her parents begin taking her to bars excuse me to sing after last call at midnight like mark twain's talking frog just like brunch of 
bunch of drunks. Like what? Reese Witherspoon in Sweet Home Alabama. <laughs> Look at you. You have a baby in a, in a bar. bar. <laughs> that is what I imagine people, except it was drunks, like eight-year-old. Last call. Eight-year-old Shania Twain learns. I bet that's a sight to see if you're drunk at midnight in Canada. Learns that drunks are the worst, but oh. also frequently takes home 20 bucks. For that one hour of... Again, eight years old, midnight to 1 a.m. What for, a crap ton of responsibility for a kid. Yeah. And I bet that that 20 bucks was frequently the difference between like, I don't know, gas money to get to work or not, or, or food, food or not. Like, <sighs> mm, really tough. But, you know, also kind of an amazing education for a young aspiring musician in its own weird way. I'm not encouraging anyone to take their eight-year-old to a bar to sing at midnight because... Because you have your baby. Because now we have this thing called... In a bar. Agencies to protect children. <laughs> no, but I get it. Like, I grew up in a middle-class household. Like, this was just... It, this is a different story, okay? <laughs> different story. Okay. You Ar have your baby in, in a, a bar. bar. Okay. Around Go the ahead. age of 10, Shania starts writing songs, and this would become... She's had a lot of experience at the bar. Oh God, so many things to write about. <laughs> By the age of 10, Shania Twain is a country music song. <laughs> okay. and it's funny uh, when it's true. <laughs> at 13, she was invited to perform on a CBC country music show on TV. Nice. Took a train. We love the CBC. Down to Toronto. Ooh, big city, like, big mm -hmm. city. Hello, city. Any B&L people out there? God, I Dude, I love it. Okay. You are pandering no, to I, the Canadian I love audience. Canada. I love them. <laughs> They're my favorite. Okay. High school years, she sings in a cover band. She, you know, lives to see her family's financial situation improve. Like Jerry starts a business of forest restoration in oh, northern ontario yeah yeah yeah. so in the summers like this is so as somebody who spent two years in alaska because my dad was army the this really this part really resonated with me so the twain family in the summer like heads out to you know whatever section of of northern ontario that basically jerry's company is planting trees in okay and they are doing really, really hard physical labor all day. They're hauling, you know, tree like young trees, digging holes, planting trees. Also, it's bear country, which means you don't you don't use soaps with scents. You don't use deodorant. You don't use shampoo with scents. You rinse your clothes in the lake. You what? Don't, yeah, bears are really sensitive to like they're really inquisitive, and so if you smell funny, that you will draw bears. They're super, like, you have to hang your food in bags from trees so that the bears hopefully can't climb the tree and get it. It's a whole, this whole, like, when, when I was a kid in a lot, like, they had bear bells. Like, if you're going to go pick blueberries in, you know, out, out of town, you wear bells because you do not want to disturb a bear. You don't want to come upon it unawares and surprise a bear. It's very bad. Okay, first, look who's pandering now, Canadians. <laughs> But second, the great courses, trash candy of <laughs> trashy divorces always surprises me. Hmm. I didn't know this. Oh, yeah. It's, about um, bear 
things. Yeah, yeah. It's a really... Because I camped in Colorado, I don't know, like 10 years ago. Same thing. I mean, there, there are bears up in the Rockies and it's like... No perfume. You have to be... Yeah, I think it's a little... It's not as remote. Like, it's... I don't think the rules are quite as stringent. It's just... It's a, It's different. You know, like we joke about how there are like little black bears in North Georgia, but they're like, it's not a thing. They're little baby cutie pie kittens compared to Canadian bears. bears. Well, compared to a grizzly bear, yes. Okay, so plant trees. Plant trees. Not bathing with soap. Not bathing. So Shania says later, probably in her autobiography, quote, it was a very rugged existence. But I was very creative, and I would sit alone in the forest with my dog and a guitar and just write songs. Like, in a lot of ways, this super remote, out in the wilderness all summer long thing, it really worked for her. Like she, and sing to the bears? Yeah. But, I mean, we will see later that her, when she is famous and has the resources to do whatever she wants, she consistently chooses to live in really remote places. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So she graduates high school in 1983, and she is laser-focused on music. She joins a little touring band. They are driving around Ontario, Canada in a busted-up van or something. Living and, the dream. Like, playing dirty bars, getting paid 50 bucks. Like, Love it. getting ripped off, like, drunks throwing beer. I'm sure, I, whatever, I'm just making stuff up now. But anyway, but it was that kind of thing. It was that- But, like, living the early... I totally. have a dream musician. I then. am 18. I just music is my life. Yeah. Okay. So she takes vocal lessons. She even visits Nashville a couple of times to try to make some things happen professionally. But she's not super like she is not sold on like I want to be a country music singer in the same way like a lot of Tammy Wynette wanted to be a country music singer. My whole dream is she, to be at the Grand Old Opry. She, yeah, she didn't she didn't want to be that a singer. Her. She wanted to be a country music singer like Shania loves music and she's, she loves country music, but it's not, I don't think she was as, I don't know, uh, what is it? Orthodox about it as okay. some of the other people we've she covered. She to play. And she wants to write the songs she wants music to write. She wants life. to, yeah. So, you know, and this, uh, this sort of inability to zero in, it does cause some friction with some of her compatriots at the time. Come on, Eileen. Get hip with the kids these days. I mean, come on. Okay, so, <laughs> hey, next tragedy in a life that things are just starting to look up in. No. On November 1st, 1987, oh. Shania Twain's parents are killed instantly in a car crash. <sighs> By now, she's living outside of Toronto. She is hooked into a music scene. She is beginning to even get some, like, high-profile-ish gigs here and there. Like, She's got her life figured out as much as you can for being in your early 20s right um and what happens she this kid who wouldn't tell her school that there was no food at home she's committed to keeping the family together so she moves back to rural northern ontario she ends up finding a job uh she so she was raised mostly in timmins ontario she finds a job 500 miles away the town of huntsville ontario which is funny as i was only this morning in Huntsville, Alabama. Alabama. So she gets a job at a resort that basically has like a musical variety show as its entertainment. Okay. And this is her job. So she moves the family 500 miles to this other ultra remote outpost in Northern Ontario. But there is... But she can keep everybody together. She can keep everybody together. still work in music. Work in music. So it's... I mean, it's, you know... Hey, Win-win out of a shitty situation. Yeah, life is complicated, and her life is super complicated because 
again, yeah, she's like in her early 20s, suddenly mom to a bunch of to like her siblings. God, that is tough. All of whom are grieving. All like it's just it's terrible. So, okay, she's singing and dancing and whatever. It's it's really her life. I did not know that there was this much tragedy and loss in her life and and just just pressures and complexities of poverty and all of that like no idea okay you never really know anybody's struggle yeah 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 all right so let's fast forward to 1992 1993 that time frame okay i guess daryl is the youngest i'm not sure mike or daryl whoever's the youngest graduates from high school moves out gets a job oh i got some freedom kids have flown the coop Great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Everybody is off to a, to a start. Don't know if it's a good one, but everybody's getting their groove on. I put my dreams on hold long enough. I think this is a family that they have learned to be resourceful in ways that most people never will, uh, yeah. probably including me. So uh, everybody's graduated. She is really, really ready to finally stop putting her dreams on hold and like go figure out how to do music for real, her music. So she's 25 years old. I guess she loads up a car, drives down to Nashville, and she is actually signed by Mercury Nashville Records within a few months of arriving in Nashville. Wowza. Yeah. So the unfortunate thing about that is that, like, if you're a young and beautiful up-and-comer in the Nashville scene, the music business in Nashville is not really designed for you. It is a machine that is designed to generate formulaic country music hits, and that machine does not allow young artists to experiment in any way or really to deviate from that formulaic script at all. Like it's just not what that machine is there to do. That machine is there to make country music hits. They have an army of country songwriters in and around Nashville who are constantly churning out material in the hope of having more hit songs. I mean, it's, it's a thing. It's an industry. It's very, it is a very well-worn path. Tell me how you feel about the Nashville machine, Stacey. <sighs> I feel like it's very limiting if you are not willing to squeeze yourself to, like precisely into that particular bucket. And Shania Twain like really wasn't comfortable doing that. She well, is not is the only one. years ago. Right, 30 years ago. Yeah, the 90s. This is 30 years ago. So look at, I kind of love that Taylor Swift has wedged her way into that. Yeah. Casey Musgraves. We have Brandi Carlisle. We have some new people that are doing that differently, but let's give a shout out to the trendsetters and pathbreakers. Because, yeah, let's talk about what happens. So some of the stuff that Nashville did that was not cool with her. First... They didn't like her name. They loved Eileen. They didn't love Twain. They just felt like they didn't go together. Twain's the best part of that I name. know. They wanted her to drop Twain, and she did not want to drop Twain. Like, that was Jerry's name. Like, and yeah, there was, vi- like, whatever. It's complicated, right? Like, that is her family. I hate so, him, but I love him, and I like this name. Yeah, and I don't even know that she hated Like, I, I really, again, I, I, my background has none of that, like, It's complex. So she decides, hey, guys, I'm keeping Twain. How about I change that first name to Shania, which is based on what seems to be a possibly misunderstood hearing of an Ojibwe word. Because again, Jerry 
was, you know, Ojibwe First Nations. She believed that this word meant on my way. And there is an Ojibwe word along these. Kind of like, like that. Yeah, it's like a phrase, really. Anyway, you know, sweet ballpark. Hey. Aiming for. Your people are your people. You know, pulling pops into the forefront. Like, Love it. gonna Gonna run with it. Like, so they, Nashville agrees. Okay, Shania Twain works. Eileen Twain didn't. I don't know why. Okay. Nashville opened its arms to Shania more or less this way. Welcome to Nashville. Do what we say, and you may get to have a career in country music. They liked her look. They liked her voice. They liked her new name, but they were not interested in her songs. Oh. Yeah. So she makes an entire record that was almost exclusively other people's songs. She got a co-writing credit on God Ain't Gonna Get You For That. One song on her debut album, she gets a co-credit on. Like This is the girl who's singing songs in the forest to her dog in the bears? Mm-hmm. Who's been writing songs since she was 10, mm-hmm. 13? Mm-hmm. This is her fucking dream? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Jerks. So, yeah, she records this album. They slap her new name onto it. They put a picture of her on the tundra with a wolf. Because she's Canadian, get it? But huh. not a bear. Not a bear. That. Well, she was probably wearing would some. Would have been more apropos. She's probably wearing some. She probably shampooed that morning. And so they, <laughs> so couldn't, they couldn't bring the couldn't live bring the, bears. In. Couldn't bring the bear. The, the ring bear. Ring bear hers. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, on the topic of how I met your mother jokes, let's just insert some Robin Sparkles jokes here. She's going to the mall. Anyway, uh, in, in fairness to the Nashville machine, though, because, again, these guys know what they're doing. That's why they do it this way. This debut record from this completely unknown Canadian singer ends up on number 67 on the Whoa, Billboard Country Music Charts. That's pretty amazing. It peaks at number 28 in Canada. It hits number three. Get this. The United Kingdom has country music charts. Nuh-uh. And Shania Twain singing other people's songs on what? her debut record goes to number three on them. Okay, England, we're going to pander for a second. The United Kingdom have... loves Shania Twain. Yeah. Do you have country music stars in the UK or do you I'm just trying to think off of... the American chart? And here's the irony to top all ironies. You know why the UK likes her? She's no. fucking Canadian. <laughs> She's not even American. Like, I know you're probably going to get to her hit success, but maybe it's changed. But I love the number one selling country artist is from Kanata. I mean, it's amazing. It's amazing. Okay. All right. The record is a modest success in the United States. And, you know, and whatever. she's cute. She's cute. She's got a great voice. She like, there's nothing wrong with Shania Twain. She's a package. Yes. Yep. So she was an accomplished musician and songwriter. She had put her dreams on hold for years for her family, and now a bunch of music industry lamos are telling her that it's not the right time for her to play her own songs. Now, what? Fuck off, man. Yeah. Additionally, this was, you know, approximately in the heyday of music videos. Um, so, all right. Gather round, children. Once upon a time, there was a thing called MTV. There was a thing called VH1. Video and all they the played, radio star. All they played were music videos. Oh, the videos were good. They were not just like reality TV content engines. They played music videos. Anyway, did we mention the music videos were good? Oh, a, a lot of them really it were good. Really was that was water cooler talk in middle school. Mm-hmm, 
mm-hmm. in elementary school and middle school and high school? Did you see the I new... I feel like you may have gone to a higher class of middle school than I did because we didn't... We had water fountains, of course. It all tasted like lead. Metaphorically. Sure <laughs> water cooler talk at the middle school. Okay. What video was hot? Totally. I remember because um, we had we had VCRs. And I remember recording because <laughs> yeah, MTV would debut music videos. I remember oh, yeah, recording you them. them over and over and over. Mm-hmm. My parents thought I was crazy, My but parents. I was eleven. I was right. Okay. <laughs> so uh, anyway, music videos are a big thing at this time, and Mercury Nashville decides, like, you know what? We can drop a ton of money on making a tour for you, Shania Twain, who will maybe one day be famous, maybe. Or we can drop a little bit of money and just use music videos to promote your work. So guess what? (laughs) You're not going on tour. And this was Nashville's decision. Pretty sure. But, I mean, that even uh, yielded... Who won that war? (laughs) (laughs) Ha ha. So this does yield some results. Uh, In Europe, she wins the Rising Video Star of the Year Award. Super nice. Like, Europe really loves Shania Twain and always has. Like, they, they knew it. When Nashville didn't. And so let's let's give Europe and the United Kingdom some credit here. We're clearly pandering to everyone. Friends, friends across the pond. Friends across the pond. We're just hoping someone might issue us refugee status at some point and take us in. Anyway. Ta-da, 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 ta-da. Okay. So the album comes out April of 1993. Not very long after this, Shania Twain's phone rings. And on the far end of the line was the beautifully accented, I'm sure, voice of one Robert John Mutt Lang, oh. a South African rock and roll producer who is both 17 years older than her and even then responsible for some of the biggest selling rock albums of all time. Da, 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 da. He produced ACDC's Highway to Hell and Back in Black. He produced most of Def Leppard's catalog. And he's not just a music producer. This guy is one of the most mega-talented songwriters in the history of modern music, I mean, I don't know what to say here. Like, here's no. What you say is he's KOABD. He's, he's kind, kind of, of a big, big deal. deal. Uh, yeah. He's he's not kind of a big deal. He okay. So here's some of the songs that he wrote or co-wrote: Brian Adams, "Everything I Do, I Do It for You." Yeah. Other artists that he has uh, written or co-written hits for: Britney Spears, Backstreet Boys, Michael Bolton, Billy Ray Cyrus, Celine Dion, Dion Warwick, Heart. Huey Lewis in the News, Loverboy, loving every minute of it. That's his. Reba McIntyre, <laughs> Starship, and Carrie Underwood. And that's like not complete. Do you know my favorite part about that? What? Was that you did that list in alphabetical order in the Dewey Decimal Soul that lives within me. Loved all of that. It's because I lifted it Thanks. directly from the Wikipedia page where Researches. you can get the full list. I know where your boots are. Yeah. Well, your boots are in the research, baby. All right, so Mutt Lang was calling because he had been a country music fan since he was a kid, and he really liked what she was up to. Like, he really... And this guy knows talent. Gee, you're kind of cute. Hmm. So they talked, you know, they talked on the phone. They talked about her songwriting. She played him songs on the phone. He was really surprised to learn that Nashville wasn't letting her use her own music. Shaka. So they spend, I don't know, a couple months... Chatting each other up on the phone, flirting, Spar- sparking with each other on the oh, uh, yeah, flirting, yeah. sparking, like getting to know each other. But yeah, they spend a couple months 
becoming Flirting. becoming phone friends, and then Mutt comes to Nashville for the Nashville Fanfare in June of 1993. So again, like this is all happening very fast because so they're doing the early love thing of talk on their phone for hours and hours every night. I think so. I think uh, so. I saw that's um, fun love. I'm not even sure. I just saw one clip on YouTube. It was like a five minute thing of of their. It was a dramatization of of their early. And weirdly, so the South African accent is just lovely, but I think the actor who was playing Mutt was Australian, and I was like, that is not the right accent. <laughs> but it was still H.O.T. Let's pander to Australia <laughs> since we're into it. And, and South Africa. Anyway. Done. Done um, and done. Okay. Worldwide listeners, you rock. So again, so they meet for the first time in person in June. They are married in December. What? Yeah. Six months? Yeah. It is a June-December relationship because he's a lot older. See, that's a joke. <laughs> Wait. Yeah. He's 17 years older, right? But six months? Yeah. That's pretty quick. Yeah. December 28, 93. Shania Does she love that he's into all of the her? I, I guess that's got to be a pretty powerful lore. I think that, I think that there is like cosmic creative like explosion happening yeah yeah yeah. i think it was like i think i like it would be weird if they had not fallen in love like i think these two connected musically so directly that like it just it would just be impossible for them Mm -hmm. new planet i love it so yeah in the space of maybe two years Shania Twain has gone from being Eileen Twain, the orphaned matriarch of siblings of the Canadian Sticks, to Shania Twain, minor hitmaker <laughs> in Nashville's country music scene, and the new wife of one of rock and roll's biggest hitmaking talents. Legend. I wonder what's coming next. So we're on the podcast Smart Marriages, right? Yes. Like, it's going to be fine. It's a happy ending. For a long time, it's going to be so much better than fine. Okay, talk to me. Okay. Shania goes to London where Mutt has like this, I don't know, I just assume it's like some sort of castle of hit making music factory stuff, like secret Hogwarts music studio. <laughs> Basically. <laughs> so they're they're in she's away from Nashville. She's away from everybody telling her what she can't do. And she and Mutt Lang are writing music. They're writing good music. They're writing exciting music. Are there bears there in the are, London studio? They're not that I am aware of. Sorry. I think she can wear whatever fragrances she wants. He probably uses shampoo. I'm a little silly. Carry on. All right. So (laughs) these two lovebirds settle into some freewheeling cosmic creative destiny thing. And they spend the better part of the next year writing and improving songs together. Gotta say, like, Mutt Lang and his presence in Shania Twain's life does not endear her to Nashville because... He is from rock and roll. He's a rebel. He's a he's he kind of does his own jam. He's a foreign guy who makes heavy metal music. Like that's just how they view him. Like it's really like whatever. You don't have a cowboy hat. Yeah, well, you know who can write a country music hit? Mutt Lang. <laughs> Shania introduced him to the Bears. Yes. Okay, so um you know, Nashville like they Still were not interested in her beyond the fact that she had good looks and a good voice. Like, that was... They know how to use a commodity like but that. But she's still under contract, right? Yeah, yeah. She's still with Mercury Nashville. Yeah, she's still... That's her record label. But it's just... it's just, You know, you look at this and, like, Nashville has a template. And she fits the template. 
they could make her successful probably, but they just felt like her striving to do something, you know, of her own vision was unseemly somehow. It's just a weird... She broke the template. She broke the template. And thank God someone did. And I, I love template breakers. But we both know that, like, I've, I have known people who write music in Nashville. <laughs> that template is still there. Oh, the template's there for sure. But she really did. There's more wiggle room, I think, now. Uh, but there was, down. yeah, there was just not that much. Wiggle okay. room. February 7, 1995. Mercury Nashville releases Shania Twain's second album. It is called The Woman in Me. It's a good album. All of the songs are written or co-written by Shania and Mutt. And the first single, Whose Bed Have Your Boots Been Under, shoots up to number 11 on the Billboard country chart. Next single, Any Man of Mine, hits number one on the country chart and becomes a top 40 hit on the Billboard Hot 100. All in all, this album lands four number one songs. It was a monster seller. And it announced to the entire world that capital letters Shania Twain had arrived. So this is cool. In her autobiography from this moment on, Shania wrote, One year after its release, the CD had sold almost 3.2 million copies, and it would eventually surpass 15 million. That is amazing. Making The Woman and Me the top-selling album by a female artist in the history of country music. Whoa. She goes on to list, you know, the women who've paved the way before her like Patsy Cline, Tammy Wynette, Dolly Parton, and says it is beyond humbling. It is mind-boggling. It really is. This kid's Canadian kid. Like, Who's the top of the charts of the country? Ska- skates into Nashville, chafes a little at its, at, at its Nashville-ness, marries a South African, like, heavy metal hit maker, and then... and then becomes, like, a legend. We're living in America. No, they're not. No, they're not. <laughs> but you get my, like, it's the dream. It's the country oh, yeah. western dream. Oh, but yeah. look at what she's done for artists that come after her and breaking that. I've got a super cool story, like, on that note, too. I know. There, Shania, there's, there's so much cool stuff in this. Anyway, so this, this the record. And you think I'm crazy when I'm like, hey, you may want to research this. I always think you're crazy. The record <laughs> wins uh, Grammy for Best Country Album. The Academy of Country Music names it Album of the Year. Shania was named Best New Female Vocalist. In all of the hullabaloo and hustle, she was actually really stressed about the self-created deadline she'd made for writing, recording, and releasing the follow-up album, which would be called Come On Over. You thought The Woman in Me was good. Right. Yeah. So this album was a calculated risk uh, because apparently it's very difficult for country stars to become crossover, you know, pop stars, dance stars. Yep. Shania Twain did this. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Shania Twain accomplished that. Um, She had, you know, had this earlier ambivalence about, I think, not just not wanting to be typecast into a particular genre. It's just the music, you guys. It's just the music. Music is cool. Music is my life. Music is good. So Come On Over featured crossover hits like You're Still the One and Man, I Feel Like a Woman. Come On Over spent two years on the charts. Plural, because it was a hit in pop and country. Back up. Two, two years? years. Wow. Two years. What the hell? 104 weeks. I, I think that's right. Man. I feel like a woman. I feel like two years it's on a, the charts. It's a long Does that time. happen anymore? 
I don't even know how, because at that know. time there was no streaming. I don't even know how charts are compiled anymore. Good Lord. So anyway, charts being plural, because it's a hit in both pop and country, it has gone on to sell, are you ready? No. 40 million copies. Excuse me? Mm-hmm. 40 million. At the time of this writing, it is the biggest selling album of all time by a female musician of any genre. Re- not just not pop, not rock, not anybody, anywhere, every time. Apparently, no other female recording artist has sold a 40 million seller record. I don't think we need to pander to Canada. I think Canada <laughs> has it fucking down. <laughs> just saying. Okay. In 1998, new challenge. She sinks her teeth into a giant world tour. This takes her across North America, Australia, Europe. And this was the moment that finally shut Nashville up about Shania Twain and all the ways that she wasn't right. Because like with the earlier albums, all the little wagging tongues of the Nashville establishment had sort of like amused themselves by speculating that Shania didn't tour because Shania couldn't sing. Well, fuck you. So have you heard about my bear audience? Yeah. So on the road, uh, this is very, very cool. So she holds radio contests in the towns that she's headed to. And the winner of the radio contest gets to come on stage and perform What Made You Say That while, you know, Shania did backing vocals. Oh, that's super basically. cool. Yeah. So notably at the Carell Center in Ottawa, a 14-year-old named Avril Levine won the contest and got the slot. One year later, this kid is signed to Arista Records. You're joking. I am not. They also both got Lyme disease later. Shit. It's like they're the, trash the same. candy divorce <laughs> course that this is is amazing. So during this tour, um, she wins two Grammys. Come on over and the woman in me both become diamond certified. She appears on VH1 Divas with Celine Dion, Gloria Estefan, Mariah Carey, and Aretha Franklin, which must have just been a dream come true. Oh, I remember watching that. Yeah. It was bad ass cool yeah because yeah. we used to watch that shit when music right. was on music video stations yeah it's weird how there used to be these things anyway she played an amnesty international benefit concert with bruce springsteen peter gabriel radiohead and alanis morissette another canadian who actually i think is the role model for robin sparkles oh i think you're right actually yes i love you <laughs> But let's go to the mall. Continue with your story. She plays uh, Denver's Coors Amphitheater. Like, it was weeks after the Columbine High School massacre. And she donated, like, all of the proceeds to the school. How many halos did she get for that? Like, a billion. Like, a billion. Like, all the trash, all the intergalactic trash cans that Tom Cruise got last week. Like, that's how many halos Shania gets this week. Perfect. I love this. She's basically amazing. It's amazing. Unless my alternate theory is correct. No, your alternate theory is awesome. Okay, so she was a superstar with an instantly recognizable face everywhere in the world and to attain some semblance of normalcy in their lives. Mutt had a suggestion. Let's move to Switzerland. (laughs) Which sounds a little weird, but that's what Tina Turner did. Any Swiss friends... This is your secret message. Your shout if out. you heard us before. Yeah, like it Switzerland it's, is a nice place to be. It is, and they so they get a Swiss chateau. Um they spend New Year's of two thousand 
just, you know, overlooking Lake Geneva. They're overlooking the French and Swiss Alps. Like, it's it's cool. It's, it's a dream. It's like a small town. She can go to the grocery store and nobody bothers her. Like, no one knows. Nobody knows she's famous. Nobody cares. Perfect. You know, like, oh, there's a country music star and a record producer, you know, up in the chalet. Like, ah, I'm busy doing they Swiss still need things. cheese. Let's sell them cheese. And wine. Let's sell them cheese, Pierre. I Okay. Wee oui, wee. Oui. That's not Swiss at all, but wine. Go ahead. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> okay, so she could shop. She could go sightseeing. People weren't mobbing her. Tourists would ask her directions because they didn't know she wasn't a local. Like, like gosh, you look a lot like Shania Twain. Do you know where the... Je ne sais quoi. Yeah. Is. No, this is not Swiss at all. I don't know what language you speak there, but... French. As oh, they <laughs> parfait. As they renovated the chateau, they both found that their French skills were uh, sorely lacking. Oh, so they... Non. Well, so they hired... <laughs> don't show off yours. <laughs> Kidding. Okay, so they, uh, they hired a French woman named... I can read it great. I trust... The speaking leaves a little to be deserved as influenced by what actually got presented at our dinner table in France. Oof. I had great luck saying red wine everywhere I went. <laughs> You're winning. Um, okay. So they hire a French woman named Marie-Anne Thibaud to be their assistant and translator. Because basically they've got all these like work crews in their house because they're renovating this old chateau and they can't like the contractors as we know plenty of people who speak a different first language in europe speak great english but like the carpenter you know didn't like the bricklayers didn't so anyway so they hire an assistant and there are like just a million little ways the day-to-day life in any country in Europe is different from the United States, is different from Canada, and it's just hard to quantify. So Shania ends up really relying on Marie-Anne to, like, learn how a parking meter works there. Like, it's just, it's the little things that, like, I know when I was in Canada one time, and they were using the type of credit card, like, put your card in thing that we use here now, but they hadn't rolled out here yet. Um. And so, like, the waiter brings the thing over, and I'm like, what do I do with this? What do I do? And he had to explain it to me. Like, it's just the little things, but but it's it's really, it's constant. Yeah, it's, assimilating to a different culture yeah, is a big deal. Disorienting, yeah. So, so Marie-Anne was Shania's Switzerland Sherpa, and while they weren't fast <laughs> friends, uh, they developed, like, a really deep friendship, and they both became pregnant around the same time. So... New BFFs. Yeah, and all of her, like her sisters, like all her female support network is, you know, back in North America. Yeah, Yeah. so so they bond, like they get real, like they become best friends. So on that topic, Mutt had not particularly been interested in being a dad, but he wasn't opposed to it, and like he just seems like a super eccentric guy. He's he has not given an interview to journalists since I think the 1980s. Like he has not been a public person he's created some of the most memorable music of the last two generations but he he is not a public person he is committed to being behind the scenes like he is not in the public eye devoted to that uh he's it's really interesting he doesn't drink he's a strict vegetarian he follows 
I don't know if he would, I don't know if this is a religion or a faith path or a spiritual journey, but it's like inspired by a 13th century Indian religious movement. I don't know. Weird dude, probably super interesting in person. Is also a Scorpio. Shania is a Libra. Oh. So there are going to be some different things in that relationship that we will follow up with. With trashy tidbits this week. Okay. Because okay. I've taken it upon myself to do your nostrology mm-hmm. for this because it's about to get bad. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I think the big takeaway for me there is that, you know, eight-year-old Shania learning drunks really suck. Marries a guy who doesn't drink at all. Like, that's probably a positive. Yeah, I think that made perfect sense. Jump to November 2000. Shania is finally off of her spectacularly successful tour. She finds out she's pregnant. Mutt decides this is fantastic for him and for their family. And luckily, their assistant and increasingly close friend, Marie Ann, is also pregnant. So, like, good times all everything around. is working out. Well, yeah. Great. So, on August 12, 2001, Shania gives birth to their son. This poor child's name is pronounced Asia, but it is spelled E-J-A, and I could not help but laugh. How many times do you think that kid's name got mispronounced? Like, in every, every school time? class, ever, every day, Eja? every time. Eja? No, it's Asia. No, it's not. No, it is, though. Sorry, I don't mean to mock the... the Zenu? Person's still a kid, so... Okay. Next album comes out <laughs> a little over a year later, November 02. Up debuts at number one on the Billboard Albums chart. Stays there for five weeks. It was a global smash hit that spawned a monster world tour that grossed 87 million in 96 shows from 2003 to 2004. I'm sorry, did you say 87 million like in dollars? I mean, I don't think it was paid in scallops. Clamps? Scallops? Macaroos? Dollars? Macaronos. Wow. It could have been scallops. That's good eating. <laughs> 87, 87 million, million scallops. scallops with 96 shows. The album produced hits like I'm Gonna Get You Good and the ballad Forever and For Always. And then Shania Twain just kind of faded out of public view. What happened? So in 2004, she releases a Greatest Hits album. There's, I think there are three new tracks on it. She contributed songs here and there to some projects, some soundtracks. She duetted with somebody. You know, like, she wasn't completely out of... Compilations of things you do. Yeah. Yeah. Anne Murray. Is that on the Wikipedia page? Oh, don't even talk to me about Anne Murray, (laughs) Canada bare-necked ladies fans. I'm not even pandering now. Okay. But, I mean, fascinatingly, like, Shania Twain really was out of the public eye for years. She and Mutt purchased a property in New Zealand. They were also working on a couple of properties in Switzerland, like, renoing properties in Switzerland. In her book, she says, essentially, renovating properties became my full-time job, and I relished the challenge. My time, energy, and love went into building these nests for my family. It makes sense. She's making a nest. It does make sense. But there's a lot more that's going on. So it turns out that while she was on tour in 2003, she happened to notice a tick fall off of her body. So she had sustained a tick bite. So after this, she begins suffering dizziness on stage, which is apparently substantial. Like she thought she was going to fall off stage a number of times for for the rest of this tour. She's diagnosed with Lyme disease. 
And the Lyme disease, um, along with stress, apparently contributes to another condition that flares up for her during this period, which is called dysphonia. Dysphonia is a condition where you have involuntary, involuntary spasms in the muscles of the larynx, which, if you are a singer, is a bit of a problem. So this is going on. She's like literally losing her voice. On tour? I think. Like after tour? I think it's after. Yeah. So she's. Yeah. Like she's kind of chilling at renovating houses and intermittently not able to talk or sing. It has to be terrifying. Has to be terrifying. Meanwhile. You know, the other thing that was happening was that her marriage to her musical collaborator, songwriting collaborator, record producer, was slowly but surely eroding. She wasn't sure what was wrong, but she describes how distant they'd become in her book. Quote, I wanted to save my marriage and work on it, but I could sense that something was almost too seriously wrong between us now, as our communication had dwindled to strained conversation and little to no eye contact, which is not good. Not good. Not good. Nobody. So she was with Asia at the New Zealand property. Mutt had returned to Switzerland for work. She just like flips out about all of it at some point. Calls Marie Anne, her friend and assistant in Switzerland. Yeah. And just was like, listen, I don't know what's going on, but like maybe Mutt has been diagnosed with cancer or something and doesn't know how to tell me. Like, can you just keep an eye on him while he's there so uh, that, you know, like, does he look sick? Is he acting weird? Does he have doctor's appointments that I don't know about? Like, just l- let me know if if you... Something's up. I'm suspicious. Right. And then toward the end of the call, she just suddenly, like, hears herself say, do you think he's having an affair? Oh, and no. Marianne is like, Eileen, come on. Like, oh, wait, I come just on, I did Come on, Eileen. It. You're being ridiculous. (laughs) This is why I was going to stick to Shania. Okay. Marie-Anne is like, Shania, you guys live in these like ultra remote outposts. Like who would he have an affair with? And she's like, you're right. Okay. I have an idea. Yeah. So Shania feels a lot better after this conversation. Oh, your friend make you feel better. Yeah. Fucking you over. Her friend is going to keep an eye on Uh, Mutt, is going to let her know if... Like, there's signs of illness. Like, everything's coming up roses. Oh, this is a knife to the heart. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, March 2008, a few weeks after this phone call, she and Mutt returned to Switzerland together with Asia, I'm sure. And by now, things are just totally broken. And Shania finally works up the nerve to ask Anne-Marie if something is going on between the two of them. This fucking woman has the gall to tear up. To tear up her French Italian eyes flood with water. Wee oui, wee. Oui. And she says, I'm heartbroken that you would even think I was hiding something from you. Wet, wet tears, wee oui, wee. Oui. Yeah, so the next day, her husband, Frederick, Frederick Thibaud, he stops. The next day. The next day, he stops <sighs> by to chat with Shania because he's got, he's seen receipts. Put on the kettle. Hotel, yes, exactly. Exactly. Uh, I saw my wife lie to you yesterday, and today I want to tell you the truth because uh, I am pretty sure that she and Mutt have, like, I have seen the hotel bills. I have seen her pack lingerie into a suitcase when she was going on a solo trip. 
Um, yeah, I I have the phone bills. Let me show you. So this is obviously sucky. I can't even breathe. It's so bad. I think that's pretty much where Shania was with it, too. Like, she spent months just being like, they're gonna figure out they've made a mistake. Like, we, we're all friends. We all love each other. We're all, like, they will... Whatever is happening here will work itself out, and he'll come back to me, and and I I will forgive my friend, and we will keep being for like just the whole. Uh. <clears throat> it's very very sad. By mid May two thousand and eight, Mercury Nashville releases a statement about the separation of Shania Twain and Mutt Lang after fourteen years of marriage. Mm. Very sad, like really really sad. Anyway. Keeping in mind that Shania is dealing with this throat thing, which must have left her terrified about her ability to continue creating music, Mutt had been her songwriting collaborator for all of these intensely creative years that generated so much great music. This was not just her marriage imploding. This was yeah, this is her. This was her entire this life. Is her life, yeah. Yes, every corner of it was suddenly unfamiliar territory. Ah. She could not know what was coming next. She couldn't know if she would have a career in music going forward because of the dysphonia. Like, just shitty. She takes a break from Switzerland. Okay, she loves Switzerland. I think she still lives there to this day. But takes a break, comes back homeward to be closer to family and you know people who will uh administer Self-care. administer yeah. a little tough love because uh because lady was wallowing oh she was deep in the wallow and oh. like some of her friends were just were like listen like he's you not coming back she it. is not your friend like you need mm. you gotta let go of that <laughs> like, like what you think these people are is not what these people are and like Get your vision right with reality. Uh, it's so hard to hear. It's though. terrible. It's terrible. So, you know, over time, she gradually accepts that this is a permanent condition that is happening. You know, on the other hand, you know, Frederick with the receipts over in Switzerland, he's going through this too. And so they start reaching out to each other and kind of leaning on each other for support. There's a bond. There's a bond. I mean, they completely understand what the other is going through. Also... He may or may just not be, but he totally is a sexy Leo. He is beautiful. He was born August 1st. He is physically beautiful. The same day as Adam Durrett. So I'm pretty mm. convinced that F- Frederick well, is a sex god too. Well, I mean, not to jump ahead, but uh, let's talk about what happens next. What happens okay. next? Uh, Shania's divorce from Mutt is finalized in Switzerland in June of 2010. People magazine immediately runs a piece about her radiant happiness with her new love, Fred Tibod. Yeah, she looks pretty good for a divorce lady. The ex-husband of her ex-husband's girlfriend. They end up marrying, as far as I can tell. Oh. Shania and Fred marry. Shania won that breakup. She won that breakup. Yeah. You know how, you know, she, like, they met in June. They were married in December. Yeah. Okay. So she's divorced in June. This time she waits until January 1st of ah, the following year to get married. Good for you. She's, she, when she sets her mind on a thing, that thing happens. And like, you got to respect that. Ready to fall back in love. Great. Done. Done. They're still married to this day. Mutt, according to a bunch of things I read, married Marie Anne, although I cannot find a date for that. 
It was the wife swap that shook Nashville. So obviously Shania Twain has been able to return to music. A little bit. Yeah. Uh, She released her fifth studio record in September of 2017. This is 15 years after her last studio album came out. And her voice is, it it is different. Her voice has changed because of the dysphonia. So the lifetime of changes. She's toured. She's making it work. Yeah. Like shit happens. That girl is a resilient She is a resilient, resilient. Yeah, she is a resilient person. Just, I mean, can't even. Resilient badass goddess. Yes. Okay, so the album was called Now. It debuted at number one. The Now Tour crisscrossed the globe and earned $62 million. Holy cats. We call that a success. That's a lot of scallions. she, (laughs) She has even broken into acting. And I have such neat news for you. Talk to me. Uh, she had a role opposite Scientologist John Travolta in a movie what? called Trading Paint that came out in February. Rotten Tomatoes gives this movie a critic approval rating of zero. <laughs> what? And an audience score of 27%. Yikes. Which I think bolsters the theory that Tom Cruise hates John Travolta, runs Scientology, and that Scientology is keeping the good roles away from John Travolta. I'm 100% in for that theory. (laughs) Tinfoil hat conspiracy time. Yeah. And I mean, that's kind of Shania Twain. I think like all we've got really left to say is, Fred, from us to you, if you cheat on your wife, we're coming for you, bud. We're coming for you, man. (laughs) Wife swap with a happy ending? I mean, a bit. Happy ending-ish? I will say the like I listened to a bunch of the songs on the the newer record and like they are all about the breakup that happened six and seven years earlier. Like, but do you think that's just what she wrote from singing in the forest with bears? <laughs> like, I don't breakup songs are like, look at Adele. Oh, for, without You're a doubt. You're going to make your hit on breakup songs. That's the shit that kicks you in the teeth. Yeah. And I think probably she wanted to, just because it was so public, she wanted to make sure that she out. addressed it with her fans. And, sure. you know, the best way to do that is to put it on a record. One of the music videos from it shows, it, it uses a photograph of her and Mutt. And with, no. like they shake, oh. they turn the picture upside down and shake and Matt falls, Mutt, sorry, falls away. And Matt, like, it's probably whatever. just cut, whatever. Bob, Bob Steve. from South Africa. <laughs> um Gary. <laughs> it's Gareth. Um that's a dollop joke. Um Yeah, that's 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 Shania, man. She Holy will Holy cat. She will sing to bears. She will That girl's a badass. She will she apparently has a nearly limitless capacity to forgive to the point that people have to be like, no, no. Not not in this case. Here's the bear to see it. Let go of your Canada. forgiveness and move on. Like, I love her. Yeah. She yeah, gets yeah. a thousand trashy divorces halos. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm good with that. Whew. All right. Yeah. There we go. I need to go pour a new glass of wine. Okay. That was some tragedy and some triumph. There's a lot, a lot there, yeah. Just get out your Kleenex. Let's take a break because I'm coming back. You're coming back. Kleenex ready. Yep. <sighs> and wine. And wine. And tra- get your trashy divorces bingo cards out now. Oh, yeah, yeah. And your cowboy hats. And your horses. And your beer. Let's go to the mall. Today. Today. <laughs>
Hey, Trash Pandas, when you need a brain break from your day, let me recommend the game June's Journey for Android and iPhone. It's a hidden object mystery game where you are solving a murder, uncovering family secrets, and, I don't know, exposing official corruption? All in an extremely stylish 1920s setting. Every scene takes you deeper into the mystery and introduces you to an expansive cast of characters as June Parker explores the questions surrounding her sister's apparent murder-suicide at the family's beachfront estate. Add your own elements to the island from lush gardens to gorgeous new buildings. This story has so many twists and turns. Right now, we are on a global journey attempting to rescue June's niece, Virginia. It's a great combo of gameplay. It's a memory puzzle, a design project, an intriguing storyline with genuinely fabulous art. When you want to let your mind wander, relax into this glorious 1920s murder mystery and get lost in the fun. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hi, I'm Chris Gethard, and I'm very excited to tell you about Beautiful Anonymous, a podcast where I talk to random people on the phone. I tweet out a phone number, thousands of people try to call, I talk to one of them, they stay anonymous, I can't hang up, that's all the rules. I never know what's going to happen. We get serious ones. I've talked with meth dealers on their way to prison. I've talked to people who survived mass shootings crazy funny ones. I talk to a guy with a goose laugh, somebody who dresses up as a pirate on the weekends. I never know what's going to happen. It's a great show. Subscribe today. Beautiful Anonymous. Alicia. Stacy. You have some sort of like family legacy patterns. Sip opera trash candy cocktail. Uh, Wow. Yes. Yeah. Sip opera trash candy cocktail. Okay. That's what I got. Okay. Get out your guitars. Cocktails and trashy divorces bingo cards, everybody. All right. I've got a story for you today that is a soap opera full of family dysfunction on fire. Wow. Tragedy and triumph. Redheads aflame. Good Lord. (laughs) So also, besides the soap opera of family dysfunction on fire, we do have in this story the very clearest case of, quote, How parents imprint every relationship you have as an adult, unquote, example that I have ever come across in the research of trashy divorces. Interesting. I've been waiting to talk with y'all about the Imago theory. You've talked to him. Yeah, this this is your go-to for a lot. It's a big deal. It's a big deal. And as a psych major and a learning and educational development professional, the Imago theory, all hell Oprah. Big fucking deal. I can think of no better illustration for y'all to get it in full force than Winona. So the Imago Theory, developed by Dr. Harville Hendricks and Dr. Helen LaKelly Hunt. Imago, uh, image, mirror. You are mirroring back to the other person. So it's a whole line of therapy, the Imago IRT, Imago Relationship Therapy. But you end up imaging the theory of this is that you end up imaging in your current relationships 
most what you need to heal from your past relationships. And once you understand that, then you see the patterns that come up over and over and over again in your relationships. And it's not about what's happening now. It's about something that's happened to you before. But once you recognize this and that it really is you, you can begin to see how these feelings and experiences, uh, like the energy exchange in childhood, has impacted you in such a way that energy that same energy is carried into your future and how you react to it. So what I'm hearing you say is that in order to move beyond our pasts, we have to be a little self-aware about our pasts. Totes. Okay. So when that's really easy, that's super easy. No, it's It's not. It's really not. not. So like you're an adult relationship, but you're always working out the one that came before. So because you don't know the language for that, you react with blame, anger, everything else you haven't dealt with. That Hello, my 20s. Exactly. That energy is always around. And you bring that energy into your new adult relationships that don't have a damn thing to do with what you're trying to work out from a past relationship. Right. Why do I bring this up now? (laughs) Winona is an amazing example. It's going to be really easy to see and identify with her here, bringing that past energy into her love relationships. And whoa, baby, talk about some bad choices and trashy divorces. I do promise there's a happy ending to this one. Winona gets it in a big way. But, but it's a but country it, song to get there. Okay, okay. <laughs> so oh, it's a country song to get there. It's a country song to get there. And that's what I have written for you today. This country song story. Country story song. Are you pulling out a guitar? Like, Not yet. Right. No, I'm doing right. it in narrative style. Okay. It's called Judd Women Always Land on Their Own Two Feet. <laughs> that's the name of our song. All right. That's the chorus. Oh, Okay. So so this will be repeated a few times? Oh, yeah. Dead women always land land on on their their own own two feet. feet. Okay. So in this song, just if you're keeping track on your Trashy Divorces bingo card, we got Mamas and Daughters, A Quest for Fame and Stardom, Serious Child Neglect and Safety Issues, Surprise Parentage, Bad Decisions with Food, Men, and Money, Criminal Charges, and legacies of buried family secrets, which go for generations. Tasty. Honestly, this is like trashy divorces, gold mining. Okay. Dude, verse one. Oh. We're going to talk about mama and the impression of all the energy exchange that mama's going to put on Winona. Verse two. We're going to talk about how that childhood energy exchange imprints into Winona's adulthood. And all the bad decisions that she's going to make over and over again. I'm going to take you to a fancy, fancy bridge where we're going to talk some real stuff. Winona's transformation growing up, working out her own damage. And to round it out, verse three, pretty happy ending. Okay. There's probably going to be some tears too. (laughs) Just giving you an FYI. It's a hella story. Hey, it's... Country song narrative. I think season closer, if if there are not, if you don't cry a little, 
you're, this, not you're talking right. about country music legends. If there's if you're not crying a little, you're not, you're doing, not it right. doing it right. You ready? Yes. <sighs> okay. Verse one. Winona was born Christina Claire Chiminella on May 30th, 1964. She's a Gemini. Her mama, Naomi, is a Capricorn. Going to go ahead and give an illustration here about this astrology dynamic before I give you the details of it. In 2018, the Country Music Hall of Fame opens the Judd's exhibit, and Kelly Pickler, who's just fucking adorable... (laughs) is interviewing... I love the name. I, I don't know who this is, though. Kelly Pickler was a contestant on American Idol, and oh. she's charming AF, and she is just lit up from the inside and in personality. She's just adorable. Gotcha. Not appropriate to pinch women's cheeks. You want to pitch Kelly Pickler's. Like, she's okay. just loaded with everything light-filled. Like, she's great. So, bubbly? Bubbly. Would we say bubbly? Okay. So, little bubbly Kelly Pickler is with the Judds in their Country Music Hall of Fame exhibit. And God bless her. She asks in 2018 what they love most about each other. Winona says to Naomi, you know what? My mom is always herself. I love that she never changes wherever she goes. She always is authentic, like represents herself. Naomi to Winona. Yeah, she's a free bird. I recognize she was a free spirit when she was like three and it scared the hell out of me. (laughs) Welcome to the Capricorn mother and Gemini child. Mm, As a Gemini child, although my mom's not a cap, but. Nope, she's not. But I think I was scaring the hell out of people around the age of three or four. No, Gemini kids are their own little, little brand of magic. So if you talk about Gemini Capricorn people as partners, They're a weird fit. When they work well together, they can reach any goal they want to. However, until they begin to work together, Gemini needs someone to ground them, kind of give them depth. And when they look at Capricorn, they're like, you're old, unmovable, boring. Like, I'm never going to get it from you. It's on me. And Capricorn needs... Joy and relaxation. So a Gemini looks like a ball of furry, furry, uncontrollable strings that have no path and heading nowhere. When they get together, it's amazing, but sometimes it takes a long time. So trashy divorces first here, focusing in on astrology specifically centered on parent and child. A Capricorn mom may have some problems keeping up with her restless, comedic, mischievous Gemini child. Is this air and earth? Is that the is cap earth? Cap is earth. Gemini is air. Yeah. I forget what that was in astrology, but I'll look air it up. Air and earth? Lava? No. Sandstorm. 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 That's actually... I know that you... No, you don't even think it because you think your astrology is a bunch of genius, but it really is a bunch of genius. Comedy genius. No, look, you can make models of things and they will more or less look like the thing you're talking about, however funky and weird they are. Nostrology is that. Sandstorm. Sandstorm. Soap opera. Okay. So a Capricorn mom 
mm-hmm. is like a stick with it until it's done, mom. And a Gemini child has a short AF attention span. What? A lively mind is interested in everything and everyone. They're bored easily, quick to move from one thing to another at a speed which will make a Capricorn's mother head spin off her body. There's no such thing as a routine or a schedule, which typically in child rearing means a Capricorn mom will need to lighten up, take a deep breath, laugh at their kids' antics, answer their questions, bend some rules. This is what Naomi should have done. No. But she did not do this. She was 18, married with a newborn, and hell, this is what life is. Naomi says the first eight years of Winona's life were the worst for her, and by all accounts, it's pretty bad. Not just for her, but for her kids, too. Naomi is not the focus of this story. Winona is. And I am telling this one for the kid who never got heard. Which is so fucking ironic, because what a goddamn voice. She has the voice of a hell-raising angel goddess, and I love her. And there's only something slightly ironic that her voice is what makes her, and she's a kid who never got heard. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And I see you feeling this too. No, wine makes you feel. Listeners, get ready. We haven't had a. Alicia is having a feeling no, spectacular. We haven't had a drink on an episode in a season. So here we go. Christina is born, who I'm just going to call Winona from now because sheesh. Completely. There's so un- many yep. names in the story. So we're just going to stick with what we got. Winona is born. So I, I am super curious. Uh, again, like. Now I know how Shania Twain got her name. I'm super curious to learn how, because Naomi is not Naomi's first, like original name. Naomi is Diana. Good God. Okay. So let's talk about all these people who are frauds. Okay. So (laughs) Naomi is Diana and doesn't adopt Naomi until like the late seventies when she and Winona, who was born Christina, start trying to make it in country. Kind of making it. Okay. Winona gets her name from... The Route 66 song covered at that time by the band Asleep at the Wheel, who Naomi was dating one of the musicians in. There's a really good line in Route 66. uh, Don't forget Winona that (laughs) she took her name from because Christina sucks. I kind of Are you sure it's not my, my, my Winona by the Chandels? Nope. It is Asleep at the Wheel, Route 66. We can cut a lot of this. Okay. Nope. We're going to let it roll because wine. So there's Naomi, young mom, whose own parents kick her out when they find out that she's pregnant. Yikes. Naomi moves in with her in-laws. Dad Michael is in college. Wealthy paternal grandparents. They belong to the country club. So Naomi's needs are getting met. She has a baby. She has food. She has love. Grandparents are doting on the child. Things are okay for the first few years. Okay. And that probably takes the heat off Naomi for a while. But mom and baby eventually are going to move in with Michael when he's a little nearer to finishing college. Which they do. Michael graduates and gets a job in California. So off go the family. 1968. 
Well, I noticed like four and she's leaving the safety net of her grandparents, which is the only real stability she's ever known and off to a whole new life. She gets a new baby sister too. Yowza. Ashley. So the best of the times from her life are going back to visit her grandparents where they feed her. She gets treats. She goes shopping for clothes. There's adult supervision. Well, there's adult supervision. She has a bedtime. She has a regular meal. Like, it is the attention every child needs to plant some kind of foot in security. A little bit of structure, a little bit of, like, knowing what the expectations are for you day to day. Like, just just basic stuff. Grandparents are a big deal to that firstborn. So... Naomi, on the other hand, is uprooted from everything she's ever known in a strange land. She has two kids and a big, fat fucking dream to be something more than what is happening to her. Right. But hey, Imago theory, 22-year-old Naomi is now trying to reckon out her current adult relationships based on her energy exchanges from childhood. So it's a cycle, right? Right. Naomi is ill-equipped to do this and now is ragingly unhappy and begins the countdown to this marriage being done. But let's be sure in the meantime that everyone damages each other as much as possible (laughs) before we call it quits. Because Naomi likes drama like that. And did I mention that Naomi manifests all this unhappiness onto Winona and dreaming about the future in which they will become stars and rich and famous and implants her dream on a poor fucking kid, yeah. which is a fuckload of responsibility. Yeah, that's rough. That's really... Okay. But did she have her in a bar at midnight when she was eight? Pretty fucking close. Okay. So, all right. Yeah, yanked her on tour with Merle Haggard at like 13. What? Where they left Ashley in the house unattended for like five days. Wait. wait yeah. Wait, wait, wait. No, it's bad. Stay tuned. It's bad. I think I even left that oh. out, but it's bad. Okay. Okay, so <laughs> Naomi, mother of the year. Mother of heathens. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. No, Naomi really does have some charm about her and has a way of negotiating great deals on rent in her life. Oh, that's cool. I mean... No, it's not the first I, time it happens. I bet one day that sort of talent will really, really pay off for the family. I'm not saying what I think her talent really was. I'll save that for trashy tidbits. But anyway... Naomi really has had enough of the valley and decides to rent a house with this sob story. I'm about to divorce my husband. I have two girls and gets this fucking house in Hollywood on Larrabee Drive, like off of Sunset Boulevard for a third of the rent. This is in the, what, late 60s? Is that where we are now? Early 70s. Okay. 1970, 1971. Yeah. Okay. Like, okay, again, I think of the Judds as like, Died in the wool country music. No, they're nope. out in Hollywood. No, trying, they're in Hollywood. Trying to, mom's trying to, and Naomi Judd is trying to. No, she's making her goodbye Earl plan. She doesn't tell Michael that this plan is really for her to make her escape from him. 
But as soon as it's done and they move in and Michael moves in, <laughs> Naomi's like, yeah, you got to get off the couch. You're out of here. Wow. And of course, to Winona, it's all her fault. Yeah. Like, and that's her dad. Yeah. Is crap on any kid. Like God. seven, eight years old. Yeah. So to a kid that already feels like she has to deliver for mom all the goddamn time, now the burden of the breakup of your marriage is on me. <sighs> Michael is out in the fall of 1971, and Naomi is a single mom, two kids, no car, no job. What? <gasps> okay. Okay. You know, it happens. So she fixes that. She gets a receptionist gig that she can walk to down Sunset Boulevard for the fifth dimension. Little known fact I learned from the Judd's docuseries. We'll talk about that. But she's gone. And she's taking any job she can find. Like, this is not her only gig. She's on game shows. She's a model. Like, she's changing her image a thousand times. So she's doing everything that everyone who tries to make it in Hollywood is doing. With two kids and no car. And recently divorced. And I'm sure I'm sure that her husband was not really in much position to help financially. Like Oh no. Just, just her husband's loaded. Oh. Their family's loaded. Oh. Her husband can send c- continues to send checks that she cashes, but she tells her girls their dad is a fucker. Oh my god. He's a fuck off and Whoa. he's not supporting you and he doesn't love you and he doesn't care about you. Oh wow. Now so, that is boom. That is horrific human behavior right there. It's exactly it. That so seriously prejudices me against Naomi Judd. Sorry. The stability of Michael and whatever he can give right. falls out in 71. Naomi's single mom. She's gone. She's working. Kids are left alone, often with not a lot of food, maybe none, no supervision. <sighs> Winona's like seven. She's a latchkey kid. She's walking to school every day down Sunset Strip, like C- cooking the strip bars, cooking the rice aroni at four yeah. p.m. For Jesus Christ, like second grade, like at seven, this a man is... exposes himself to her down Sunset Strip. <sighs> like, yeah, nothing about any of this time period is good, and it's going to get worse. So once Michael's out, Naomi gets in a super healthy, well, she started it before, but now it's super unhealthy, relationship with a dude who moves in with him, who beats Naomi often and sometimes Winona. And when she kicks him out, he's like, cool, I know you really love me, and just moves across the street. No. Yep. Stalker. And becomes the worst Stalker. of stalkers. St- yeah. And he puts... We didn't have a word for that back then. Like, there was no legal... puts cheap watches under Naomi's wheels so he can find out when she's leaving to get her schedule. So, so as the tire goes over, as she backs out, it breaks the the watch and the time row. Oh my God. What? I mean, that's brilliant, but stalking her ass 1972 style. Crazy. Do you have to be to think that one up? I mean, go get a cheap new watch at the fucking Eckerd. Yeah. Stalk your beloved. We're so old. Okay. No, he also comes over and beats up any guy who goes over to Naomi's house. Okay. It's a lot of fun, this guy. Mm. Bad behavior here. This is not the story I thought you were going to tell me. This is No, it's harrowing. Yeah. Winona develops asthma. She starts to sleepwalk. 
Naomi gets a call at 3 a.m. from stalker dude across the street. Hey, your kid is here. What? I don't know what her kid was doing there. How much stress was this kid under? Oprah's never talked about this, but I have a lot of feelings. Mm -hmm. Naomi, after a really bad, he beats her to a pulp incident. Jesus Christ. Gets away with the kids to a hotel room, presses charges. She's like, I need to get the fuck out of California. This seems like a really good idea there, Naomi. Which she does soon, by the end soon, of 72. Soon to be Naomi. No, Diana soon to be Naomi. Yeah. So throughout this time, again, God, she's telling her kids trash like, Trash baggery here is Your dad's high. the worst. He's not supporting you. Like, she's dad shaming. shaking my head. And Michael Ciminella is like, none of this is true. Yeah. But Naomi's trashing his reputation. By 1974, Michael, who's adopted kind of the hippie California lifestyle, is living off the grid. And the girls end up, when they come back with Naomi, living with him at this place he calls Camp Wig. Come, come back to where? Uh, Kentucky. Okay. Farmland. Okay. So out in the, yeah, he's doing the seventies hippie, like the hinterlands, the farm or whatever. Yeah. Okay. Uh, the girls, both Ashley and Winona describe this place as idyllic. There's like a heater. There's no phone. There's no TV, but to hear them talk about it, there are unicorns and meadows of flowers and, Fishing and swimming. How about food and safety? Fireflies and no, we catch what we're going to eat that day. And my people, like it is a very tiny insular world of let's build up some safety for some kids who have not had any in a while. Yeah, Naomi's gone in this period. She's still looking to get her break, so she like heads out to Austin. That doesn't work out. She moves around for a while and eventually decides to come back and get her nursing degree. She goes back in 1975. The whole family is together again. And as this is a tragic country song, you know, (sighs) harmony's not going to last. And we're going to shuffle through the next set of years saying that Naomi negotiates a lot of good rent in places for her and her kids. She inflicts a lot more damage. She's in nursing school a lot. She leaves the girls alone, unattended and fucking hungry a lot. It there's This is why we have defects today, isn't there's it? There's lucky breaks and her fucking it up and dead cats on the porch and future stalkers like it's all bad. I but don't even I, okay, nope, there's a lot. No, there. there's a lot I'm leaving out. Not so in another details. prophetic bad decision turn of the wheel of fortune. They all decide to go back to California for some additional child neglect and left to their own devices. Why Nona is responsible for watching Ashley. So shit's rolling down on why Nona, why Nona's kind of mean to Ashley, which she is going to, as an adult, feel shitty about. Sure. But Naomi's also giving why Nona assignments of what they're going to practice that night when Naomi gets home and they lock Ashley out of the room where they're practicing. What? Oh, it, wait, it okay, okay. Sucks. So, single mom is at school or work all day or whatever. Before leaving in the morning, tells older kid, "Hey, tonight we're gonna play this song. So I need you to spend we're today practicing, practicing this, by, this song." Yeah. 
mom comes home at the end of the day from work or school or wherever she's been. You're wa- getting it. Walks past younger kid. Closes grabs the door. Older kid. Show me what you practiced today. And younger and kid is just. Her and beats her up if she doesn't do it. Oh my God. Okay. So it all sucks. Where are the police in this story? Oh, they're that's, coming. They're are they... going to get to them when Naomi's Ooh. gun starts coming out. Oh God. So. Winona's obsession through this time period, because at Camp Wig, they have a record player. Okay. So they're playing country classics, Joni, like all the things that she is learning. And in one of their homes that Naomi negotiates good rent for, Chanticleer, there's a piano. So like Winona's musical obsession is underway. And I guess she's determined to be a rebel in her own way and make her mama's dream come true. Like, this is more responsibility than the kid should oh, ever yeah, have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the California adventure does get them to the next stage of their development as artists. But let me just say, like, Naomi is not the one with the talent. Why known as the moneymaker, yo? Really? No, she's got the voice. She's the storm shaker from the angels of heaven naomi kind of has to learn they get producers and what is she like 10 15 at this point like uh, she's a little kid yeah we're god. 1979 one like 15 oh my god yeah but <sighs> they end up getting producers that are going to train naomi to like how to complement and harmonize with winona because winona fucking moneymaker all right Anyway, California Adventure does get them a little further, even though way more childhood drama. Ashley left alone. By 1979, they moved to Nashville. And eh, Winona's 15, adolescence hits. And oh, Winona, you wild child. Free bird, free spirit, scares the hell out of mama. And it should, because you've had 15 years of not at all great examples. It's not your fault. Your mama knew you were going to be a free bird, but Winona makes some bad teenage decisions. And she's starting high school a year late because mom had her out of school for the past year on this wild ride on tour into Las Vegas. And like, it's all bad. Winona starts high school a year late. But she has a car. Ends up driving a friend to Atlanta. Her car breaks down. She gets sucked in by this weird dude and his mom. And she's saved by her grandfather who comes like, call any dad you can find. Right. She has not one bit of control over her life. And it's breaking out in every way. And it's volatile. There's lots of fighting with Naomi. Fist fights. Naomi pulls her gun out every now and then when the police get called. Unhealthy relationships all over. Super bad. This is the script. But they can fight like tigers with each other. This is terrible. Terrible. But then they get on stage and it's all pretense and perfection. Yeah. The stage experience is what they're living for. Or at least Naomi. Winona is still like... I'm at fault for everything that's gone wrong in your life, and I'm going to try to make you happen. What can I do? Which, by the weirdest course of accidents, it does. And by 1983, 
the Judds are signed to RCA. Jesus Christ. Naomi's 37. When good things happen to bad people, at least Naomi, I mean, Jesus Christ. Winona's 19. Okay. Naomi, 37. Signed with the RCA. And the Judds are now going to take the world by storm. In the eight-year career they have together, our gals will create five studio albums, 13 compilation albums, release 26 singles, 15 of those which make it into the number one slot. What? Another, eight, 15 number one hits in eight years? Another six of those landing in the top 10. So out of 26 singles, 22 are top 10, if so, not number oneers. It sounds like for eight years, if you were a listener of country radio, the Riding Judds were everywhere. Your soundtrack. Okay. They win some awards. Seven from the Academy of Country Music, top vocal duo, seven years in a row. Nine awards from the Country Music Association, five Grammy Awards. It's nonstop. And the two of them are going to continue this script where they bait and provoke each other, fight like tigers, and go on stage and Sing make like it all angels. shiny. Yeah, man, that is that is tough. And uh, at this point, has Ashley Judd starved to death? She just she's living with her grandparents. She hopped a bus for Hollywood and was like, "Fuck nope. you guys." She's living with her grandparents, Good. and she's going to go to University of Kentucky. Good for her. Be a wildcat. Go cats. You know what? Just not being a Judd is probably enough. I'll pander to Kentucky now and tell you to please not vote for Mitch McConnell. Vote for anyone but Mitch McConnell. So, Stacy. Yes. I'd just like you to sit back and imagine. Sharing a tour bus with your mother from the age of 16 to 26. Every day, every night, don't talk. Your mom's bedroom is in the very back of the bus. So you have absolutely no privacy ever because mom's always coming through your room. You are a teenager. With all the things that happen when you're a teenager, which is fucking hard enough, but now you're on stage with your mom every day hearing, because it's a big day when it doesn't happen, which one of you is the mother and which one of you is the daughter? (sighs) Okay, so like in high school, Winona already looks like a teacher. Mm. I know this. I get this. I feel this. Kids, like... Note runners from the office, when they'd come into a trailer and didn't know my teacher, would give the note to me. Because as a freshman, I looked like a teacher. Hmm. And I'd be like, yeah, it's no wonder I ended up in learning and education. But really, Winona looks grown at 16. And she has this petite, cute, elfin mother and no control over anything in her life. And none of that is going to work great for Winona. Because like so many other teenagers before her, she is going to attempt to gain some control through, take a guess, food. Oh, food. Oh, well, because drugs was actually going to be my guess. Uh, It's drugs cutting her food. Like Mm -hmm. that's how teenagers teenagers. take control. Mm -hmm. 
Winona begins to eat to stuff her feelings. They're getting lots of success, but she's super alone. She feels like none of this is deserved. And the more she has no input into what's happening in her own life, she absolutely can control what she eats. You know, has she considered Scientology? (laughs) (laughs) She gets bigger, which staves off intimacy. She can make a difference in her appearance to build up a wall, but also stave off the attention that mom has gotten through her entire childhood. Like lots of compare. We can, we're going deep on trashy tidbits this week. Okay. And, uh, it's protection. Being a little heavy lets you out of being vulnerable in ways that at the time you may not be able to admit to yourself. I identify with this. But it's a Nashville machine, and as long as we're on tour and cranking out hits, it's cool. Yep. But you know tragedy's coming. Because in 1990, Mama Naomi gets diagnosed with hep C. Wow. Apparently from her nursing days, which doesn't stop Naomi from planning a 116-city world tour to grand finale the Judd's off into the sunset. What? Is this actually their last tour as a... As the Judds? No, they've reunited because Naomi lives. Because Naomi didn't die. Yeah. Naomi doesn't die. This tour grosses $21 million. So so wait, she pitches a drama fit because now she has a disease. She's obviously dying because that's... Oh no, she's buying future grandchildren gifts and funeral plots for the whole family because she's only expected to live three years. But also planning a 116-city tour, tour. which Winona has to literally help her get ready for by the end of it. Like, Naomi's super sick. Okay, all right, all right. So so she's not exaggerating that she... Because I realize, like, today I feel like Hepsi is pretty treatable. It, But Naomi was one... Apparently on one of the first drugs to treat it, where her boyfriend, then future husband, Larry Strickland, who is a backup singer for Elvis Presley, flew on a plane to somewhere to get her the drugs that worked out treating it. There's another conspiracy theory. You notice when I have a glass of wine, I get real country when I talk about Nashville. There's another conspiracy theory that says Naomi was lying about the whole thing and just made it up to, I don't know. I don't believe that. I don't think you work that hard to get where you are in your life and give it up without really truly being afflicted by something. She was a drama queen about it. Sure, sure. Glad she survived. No, and I I would, I mean, like, hep C. But a 116-city tour. It's an optimistic, I'm about to die. Well, maybe it's, I'm going to, I'm a Capricorn mom. I'm all about business. I have been taking care of these kids in the best way I know how, which you may have judgment on me 40 years from now. My eyes are rolling. No, Imago. Mm-hmm. Like, we're going we're gonna to get to a happier bridge here soon, but Imago, right? Maybe you're like, I need to cash in on all the money we can fucking get because the ride's about to be over. Yeah. It's just so sad. So... By the time this ride ends in 1991, Naomi's 45, halfway dead, Winona's 27, and about to embark on a solo career 
that has been in the works for a year since they started planning this 116 city tour. But the Nashville machine is going to do what? Pick your songs, pick your clothes, pick your image. And we'll simply just take the place of mama's control over you. Yep. And now we get to Winona starting to deal with these adult relationships on her own. And say it with me, Amago. Oh, I was going to say Judd women always land on their own two feet. That's the course. You just got us to verse two. You did it. Great. Woohoo! So the Judds buy a thousand acres in Leapers Fork, Tennessee. They call it Peaceful Valley. (laughs) Sorry. Sorry. How's that? Leapers? Leapers. Like L-E-A-P-E-R. L-E-I-P-E-R apostrophe S, but it is pronounced Leapers. You think it was a French guy named LaPierre who initially found it and it's just degraded over time? I didn't want to get hate mail from Tennessee, so I called Erica Kelly and said, hey, how do you actually say this? And it's Leapers Fork. Leapers Fork. Tennessee. All three Judd women landing on their own two feet in their own two houses, live on this thousand acre property. Naomi lives 60 seconds from Ashley, six minutes from Winona. Hmm. Seems like way too close for comfort given. So Winona is without a mom on tour and maybe that would be cool and she'd be happy about it, but she's never had anyone trust her with anything. Right. And they're probably not going to start now. So, again, she's told what songs, what to wear, how she's going to be marketed. And that's her solo career, which does start out with a bang because girl can sing. Yeah. You thought Judds were good? <sighs> Move the fuck over. Her breakout album, Winona, comes out in 1992, charts four number one singles. It's hot. Second album in 1993, Tell Me Why, charts five top ten hits, Girls on Fire, at least musically, because enter first husband and Imago Theory and bunches of unhealthy behaviors. Winona meets Arch Kelly III in 1993. Sorry, say that not not R. Kelly. No, not R. Kelly. Okay. Interesting. Pretty close. Arch Kelly. Arch, Ke- like Archie, Archibald, yeah. perhaps. Arch Kelly the third, 1993. Trey. And I, <laughs> Trey. And I guess dating's fine because they're both pretty screwed up. <laughs> and it's all wild, but then 1994 happens. Okay. And it's bad. Winona's 30. And Naomi, Winona, and Ashley are in an emergency family therapy session. This seems long overdue, to be honest. Well, Naomi's putting out a book. And there are some secrets that she lies about in there that Ashley's like, Mm. nope, nope, nobody. I'm going to blow your cover. Fuck you, mom. I'm blowing your cover. And now we're going to reveal the dirty big secrets of all the secrets that everyone else in the family knows about. Yeah. Except for Winona. And that secret... What? Is that Michael Ciminella is not Winona's real father. What? She's 30? And she's 30. How does Ashley know? And, but Ashley oh, is his Winona's daughter. told her managers, her producers, the record label, everyone around her, Ashley knows, the family knows, 
But at 30, Winona. Surprise parentage. Is um is he Ashley's father though? Yeah. Okay. Yep. All right, I I'm gonna need some explanation on Okay, so you're gonna need a minute. You're not hearing anything, so we're gonna take a second so you can process this and hear this because I know Imago relationship therapy. Winona has another father. Well, who one assumes. Abandoned Naomi at seventeen when Naomi gets pregnant. And Naomi essentially hoodwinks Michael into marrying her in the first place because it turns out they'd actually never done the thing which makes a baby before they got married. Did he just not know how that worked? He didn't know how that worked, but then they got married and then he learned how that worked and he got clued into... Okay, sex ed must be in schools because otherwise you get hoodwinked. So this is a national scandal. Oh, yeah. This is national news. I would think. Because tabloids don't have the real story, they're reporting that Winona is Elvis's love child. Whoa. Like, she can't even go to the grocery store. She's not Elvis's love child, is she? No. Okay. Wow, that would be so cool, though. That would be like trashy divorces. Father's name. Charles Jordan. Okay. Um, But, like, she's, Winona's hit pretty hard by this. I would, yeah. So the lack of any, even if a bad father figure that she's known in Michael, a new dad absent, reckoning it with the dad she thinks that was hers, career off the tracks, ostracized by the Nashville machine, and maybe not with the greatest of guys. Wait, they, like, there were professional ramifications for her because her mother has lied to her her whole life? Well... Not yet, okay. but hold on. Let's just wait like two months until she gets pregnant. Oh. And then we're going to talk about ramifications. Oh, not married, is she? Yeah. Oh, so Nashville. The thing that really gets Winona about this before she gets pregnant is the secret of it. Like her whole life for 30 years, she has felt out the fuck of place. So to her, having a different dad actually makes a shit ton of sense oh like she's like oh no wonder i felt weird for 30 years of my life but the betrayal of that yeah how could you not tell me this yeah for 30 years wouldn't have this secret have helped us break through a lot of walls before this but the surefire way to heal yourself in a crap situation and fix everything is to drown yourself in a bad relationship. So you remember Arch Kelly? I do, not yes. R. Kelly. Arch no, Kelly. Arch Kelly, it's bad. She gets pregnant. Arch moves in. Hmm. He begins controlling her just like mama. What? And the machine. We've just traded the source. God. He's responsible for running her things, her home, her finances, her choices, her clothes. What she does, who she talks to, this is so bad, and you're about to have a baby. Out of wedlock. Which, honestly, I think this is the first thing for Winona that begins to get her to crave a deeper understanding. Elijah is born in 1994, 
And Winona says that her son Elijah saved her and is her reason for living. And is Elijah like it grounds her into something different? Is Elijah's name spelled L J A? E L I J A H. Okay. She loves her kid, but not married to Arch. She's got a sweet baby, and it's 1994, and Nashville and country audiences are not really down with this whole single mother thing. Even though, irony of ironies, that's how they make the whole judge shtick happen. Like, let's look at hypocrisy and double standards, and poor rural mama and her daughter. Just, hypocrisy pisses me off. I digress. Yeah, but if a woman is abandoned by a bad... But here you've got a woman choosing not to marry, apparently a bad man. <laughs> like, it's... I mean, it's it's a different... Like, in one case, the woman is empowered, and we can't have that. Don't jump. Not that high. A little bit. A little bit empowered. I mean, oh, man. Uh, Winona takes all in 1995 off. And just as she's prepping to revive her career... And getting a grip on the fact that Arch is kind of an ass face, she gets pregnant again. Yikes. And for some inexplicable reason, she marries Arch in January of 1996. Yikes. But before the wedding, Arch is like, hey, Winona's manager, you don't need to worry about that prenup. It's cool. And Winona has smarter people than that, so... Prenup going to happen. And daughter Grace is born in June. And Winona's been out of the scene for a long time. And she hits the road five weeks after a C-section to go back on tour. Because she's put her career yeah. on hold. Yeah. And Arch is super controlling. And he's probably planning to murder her. Oh, good. Good. Because now he is working out behind her back how to get power of attorney. Oh, my God. Exactly. And things really start to fall apart. People who have been on her team for years are dropping like flies, quitting right and left. Her friends are like, girl, you are in danger. Winona finally sends him packing, but sweet baby Jesus on a toast cracker. She has all of her own pain and a baby and a toddler and an ass face crap soon to be divorced husband and a career, and people depending on her for their livelihood. And hell, she's depending on herself for the same thing. And that's a fuckload of pressure. And the divorce is hard fought, but she's a survivor. She's working her guts out, and she's going to take it on herself. She reaches her highest weight. Everything's falling apart. She is full on in an eating disorder, a shopping disorder. She's trying to work it all out. She makes a few for like two steps forward, one step back. Once Winona decides to make the step forward to meet with her birth father, two weeks before this meeting's supposed to happen, he dies. This is awful. It's a fucking tragedy country song. Winona finds out a few days later because she's had members of him his family come to her, hey, I'm your cousin. I'm the niece of your dad. Yeah. Like she is in contact with the family. She also finds out a few days after he dies that her real dad has a whole drawer full of newspaper clippings 
that he has just saved in a drawer about her and her career and her entire life. Hmm. So talk about breaking you wide open. So everything I know about Winona, I learned on Oprah. (laughs) Uh, Winona goes on Oprah in 2003 and like, you tell the truth to Oprah. I mean, you don't fucking lie to Oprah. No, it's like being under oath. That's it's just being, being under, under Oprah. Oprah. So, Winona says, "I've dedicated my life to country music. I homeschool my children. I work three years on my record. I support you know forty or fifty families. I have for eighteen years, and I've never stopped. I'm in trouble because I lost myself." I'm the woman who forgot to put herself on the list. And I'm real tired. I don't have it together. I'm losing my way here. Anyone anywhere can understand with that. Because like, yeah. you forget to put yourself on the list. It's bad. Winona says her weight drama started in childhood after her parents divorced. I'd been alone. So alone. Those years of my life, my parents were divorced. I'd get hungry. I'd get panicky. It's sad. But the way to put yourself on the list, Winona, in 2003 is not to date an ass face. Because Winona marries her second husband, former bodyguard D.R. Roach, in 2003. Is that, is it spelled, is it R-O-A-C-H? R-O-A-C-H. Wow, you, do you, like... Think about how much you have to love someone whose last name is Roach to agree to marry them. I know she didn't take his last name, but still, come on. She like, doesn't take a last name until her third marriage. So there's your little yeah. hook. Be a little kitten hanging on the branch. It's going to get better. Is she not a Judd anymore? She's not. Good for her. She's not a Judd I anymore. am already proud of her. Okay. Okay. So she marries Dr. Roach in 2003. After that, she finds out she's going broke. From years of nobody has put any responsibility in me to pay attention to my finances. So, holy fuck, now I have no money. This is adult lesson after adult lesson, a Mago theory. Like, she's never assumed control of her life. And it's about to come crashing down on her at 40 in the biggest of ways. She gets herself and Roach Boy into therapy and begins to kind of fledge out this thing only to get a little healthy to have her husband arrested for sexual assault of a minor. What? And he's guilty and convicted of attempted aggravated sexual battery against a minor. And more crushingly, she knows the family. Oh my God. And at 43, this is betrayal of the worst sort. Oh my God, yes. Winona has him out of the house within the hour. She files for divorce in less than a week. Good for her. She says this blew the door open to my soul. For sure. Oh, that poor kid. In 2010, about the marriage, she says, I knew what I was getting into and I tried to change it. I knew that both Roach and I had issues with addiction When I married him, I know my life. I know the people I chose, and I know why I chose them. And I really thought I could change people through loving them (laughs) enough. It doesn't work that way. I can change him. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't. So, like, Roach is in recovery. He's sober. That's all that matters to me now, she says. 
As for her personal life, she trashed anything that reminded her of him. She says, I haven't forgotten, but I have forgiven enough that I can humanly can. I don't wish him dead or anything like that. I just wish to be one of those people that doesn't spend my life being defined by that. And we go back to the chorus. Judd women always land on their own two feet. Fuck yeah, they do. Yeah, that's tough. I didn't, uh, you know, kids, that sucks. So we're going to go to the bridge. For any non-musical folks out there, the bridge is the part in the song. You know, it's cool of her not to set her husband on fire upon learning that he's done that. That's He I should mean, preview five fucking trash cans on goddamn fire. He should be very grateful that she didn't just set him on fire when she learned he had done that to a child. Just saying. We would all understand if Winona Judd had set him on fire. And then wrote a song about it. And then or never spoke of Shania it again. Twain yeah. In front of a bear audience. An audience of bears. What's that chorus again? Judd women always land on their own two feet. Boom, boom. Move into the bridge. Okay. For any non-musical folks out there, the bridge is the part in the song. Doesn't always happen in songs, but my favorite songs are when it does. The bridge is used to contrast with and prepare for the return of the verse and the chorus. So the bridge sort of marries the verses and the chorus, hence the bridge. It uses the chord structure of the song, but flips those chords around. Lyrically, it's where it all comes together. It introduces a new musical theme that is usually some profound words of wisdom that is all the sprinkles on the song Sunday. Country Roads by John Denver has an amazing bridge. Anything by John Denver has an amazing bridge that will kick you in the gut. But enough about the bridge. I digress. It's where we flip the song over and make it come together in a different way. So you ready for the bridge? Sure. Yeah. Shed women land on their own two feet. Sure. By 2010, Winona's jet shed 55 pounds, discovers that she really likes to walk in the woods and has asked her mama to go on tour with her again, which they do in 2011. Okay. Let me just, the only, <sighs> Naomi is lucky that Winona never set her on fire. You're not kidding. And still hasn't. It's called The Last Encore Tour, which is also being filmed by Oprah's network. And yes, I have watched all of this. Watched it when it aired in 2011. Watched it again for this narrative. You are welcome, listeners. Now, the best part of camp tour therapy is that they are traveling with Dr. Ted Klontz, who is their amazing life coach. And they are reunited in this totally different way in different places in their lives after the arc of their lives. Winona's 47, Naomi's Naomi's 65. Like, this is some weird kind of second chance shit, and it really helps to have a therapist on board for the journey. There will be trashy tidbits about the whole sordid, amazing, wonderful docu-series that is 2011's The Judds, but to sum up, Winona and Naomi are working on a new script. The old script isn't working anymore. And hey, at least this new script you have with a moderator for you both. Everyone has found some therapy. It ain't easy. Because all of Naomi's secrets spill out. 
She has a refrigerator mom. Her mom is super cold. Naomi was sexually assaulted at the age of three. No one believed her. Oh, God. The legacy of her family is that her grandfather locked his two sons up, her dad being one of them, turned on the gas, lit the fire, and then shot himself in front of the kids. The kids break the window and save themselves. Like, there are so many family secrets and shame that Naomi is working through, and Winona is getting her mom in an entirely different way. Like, where did we mesh, and where do I begin, and where does she end, and how do I develop my own autonomy? In this tour, they really begin to write a new script for themselves. They're kind of done with the anger and the hate and really begin to amago. They find themselves at the end of this, knowing that whatever challenges they come to them, we have the tools to work together through this crap. There's not anything that we can't do together. It's really a redeeming message of mother-daughter relationships. I'm not going to cry. Because <laughs> the mother-daughter relationship is one of the most complex. And by the end of it, our Capricorn mom and our Gemini daughter really do understand and appreciate each other in a beautiful kind of way. It's tough to watch, lots of pain, but also breakthrough and healing and smarter decisions and this new discovery of the person in each other that they didn't know before. Verse three. You ready for some happy? Yeah. Yeah. Let's now's get a good off time. the camp therapy tour and move into verse three. So thanks, Dr. Ted. Why known as taking charge, making some healthy decisions in her life? Because she does have a toolbox now. And sure enough, oh, it's so good. This is my favorite kind of love story. So back in 1989, a band called Highway 101 went out on tour with the Judds. And there's a guy in the band. It's his band. His name is Cactus Mosier. So Cactus Mosier. Cactus, Cactus, his parents didn't like him. His parents loved him. His name is like Scott David or Scott Michael or something. Okay. okay it's just okay. a nickname. Cactus. Cactus. Because he's prickly? He probably is a little prickly, but Maybe I he doesn't love like him. to shave? No, well, he has a beautiful feathered mullet. <laughs> and Winona thinks he's sexy, like sexy AF. And they know each other and each other's families and they stay cool with each other. But in 1989, Winona is 25 and has a whole barn full of change to go through. But fast forward 23 years. And in 2009, Cactus and Winona reconnect and go crazy about each other. He loves her sassy most of the time. She loves his man's manliness and talent. And I am crazy about the way the two of them look at each other. Like it is amazing. Winona says he is a joy that I never thought I'd find again. I've always been attracted to the ones that are unavailable emotionally. No experience with what that looks like because of the unhealthy relationship with my dad. Now I get what a healthy relationship looks like. I'd pick addicts who had agendas, ulterior motives. I was trusting and naive. It was not cool. She has a whole new toolbox that takes her away from her insecurities, doubts, and fears. Okay. Grab your Kleenex, because here's my best advice for all y'all out there. 
looking or wanting that kind of relationship to smack you upside the head, the universe is always conspiring in your favor. Trust in that. The universe has a plan, kids. That plan? I can't. Can't even get to Ted Mosby before I start crying about him. The universe has a plan, kids. And that plan is always in motion. If you want it, it's going to find you. But only after you find yourself. And to honor the other Dr. Ted, not Dr. Ted Kluntz, but Dr. Ted Mosby, one more important in our house. How I met your mother. That's the funny thing about destiny. Sometimes you're just too close to the picture to see how it all works out. But it does. And it will. And you'll end up in exactly the right place at the right time. And in exactly the right frame of mind. Which is the real thing that you and the universe have been working on. God, I need a Kleenex. Okay. So Cupid Zero is happening with Winona and Cactus. And they are the happy couple. They couldn't have gotten together a day before they did. But when it happens, bazinga. And it works out. Our lovebirds get married June 10th, 2012. In a secret wedding with only their children from previous marriages present. No drama. Focused on the intent of what the couple felt that day. And what it was really about. And I'm 100% in for that. Winona says, I didn't want it to be about anyone but Cactus and me. Because to me, at the end of the day, it's the children, Cactus, and me. I was so concerned about making this feel special for them, everything fell away. Winona says her self-esteem would have plummeted if her family had been present. Yeah, say more. If I know Ashley, she would have repositioned my dress or my mom would have given me Kleenex to stuff in my bra, or told me I had something in my teeth. I just didn't want that. I just wanted to get married. Yep. And that, my sister Winona, is using the tools in your toolbox. A fucking country song, amen. The newlyweds did experience some tragedy, because you don't think it all has a happy ending, right? I mean, I... I I can't. Did he die? Is that why you're no, crying? No, but they yeah. are motorcycling in South Dakota, and Cactus is involved in a really serious accident, resulting in one of his legs being amputated above the knee. Holy shit. From this tragedy, the couple is brought so much closer together. Talk about some Imago theory. Um, I get this. Like, the feeling of being suddenly physically rendered as an adult will make you go back to every weird childhood thing you have because people are literally taking care of you all the time, but you're an adult. I was in a bad car accident at 24. I get this is the shittiest feeling. It's a tough situation for both patient and caregiver, but it seems these two have really found their thing in each other. Congrats. I know I'm going to wipe away my tears. Congrats to the happy couple who just celebrated their seventh wedding anniversary on June 10th, just like the a other week day. ago. Yeah. Winona is also sitting on about 20 million bucks, a four decade career in music, still putting out music, doing acting and voice work as well. 
She's penned a novel and a memoir. In 2005, she was awarded the USO's Merit Award for her contribution to the United States Armed Forces. And that is the Trashy Divorces Tour of One Winona Judd. But hold your horses, because I'm not done. I have some takeaways for my new BFF Winona's Story Song episode. Number one, if we could all go on a camp therapy tour with our parents as adults and a licensed psychologist, how much better would the world be? Dr. Ted, you're doing priceless work, my friend. Winona says her biggest takeaway from Dr. Ted, and it's true, you are not responsible for what you don't know, but once you do know, you are. And that actually seems like very solid, a, a, no very, a very solid better. point. It's yeah. A fucking life lesson. Third life lesson. Okay. I'm, this is the crying part. Tell the secret. Wait, th- this <laughs> is the crying. What? Wow. Well, the last 15 minutes have some explaining nope. to do. <laughs> Where are the bears? Tell the secret. Take the risk. It's never too late to make a new path for yourself. You see this with not just Winona, but Naomi right now, like as recently as 2018, doing some lectures on her lifelong struggle with depression and mental health. Ashley Judd is an outspoken proponent of the Me Too movement and kicking ass in humanitarian ways that make angels blush. The lesson here, break the cycle of secrets and patterns and make a new script. It's going to be uncomfortable. You won't know all the words to that new new script when you begin. Be brave and be kind because hell, we're all going through something. And for my new BFF, Winona, you're doing great. Your honesty and truth and bravado and taking what comes and landing on your own two feet. Give me and all of us all the hope. If you can do it, I can do it. I believe in you. We all believe in you. (laughs) And now that I wipe away my tears, that's going to take us back to the chorus. Judd women always land on their own two feet. Did somebody in the back say bingo? I feel like that's possibly a rude thing to say to Cactus these days. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) Cactus is doing okay. I'm sure. Yeah. Like they've... He's landed on his one two feet. (laughs) He has landed on his artificial leg. Does that uh, does that conclude your? That is a terrible childhood. I had no idea. Like that, Imago theory that Winona and Ashley Judd grew up in those circumstances. Like that is that is terrible. No, it's terrible. But you look at how because we see it. We covered. Two plus divorces every week. How how do you get to that place? How do you react to it? Amago theory. <sighs> Amago theory. I couldn't think of a better illustration. Sure. For how childhood energy exchange imprints on what you do as an adult and what you do as an adult to overcome that. Conquer your demons. What kind of trash cans do you think get thrown around? Oh, God. 4.5 for Arch Kelly. 
Like, he would be a five had he had child molestation charges, but that's saved for old Roachy Roach. boy. Yeah. yeah. Four and a half, five. Like, super bad, trashy divorces, but tons of halos and trash, like, equals out with a super happy I feel ending like, in love. I feel like Naomi gets some trash cans, even though uh, oh. just parenting trash cans, that's just terrible. But, like, you get Naomi in the bridge. She is... To the point where she can, acknowledging and recognizing that. And you're on fucking camp therapy with Dr. Ted. Like, what kid and parent can't improve by that? Okay. I'm going to take a breath. How are your trash cans? I'm going to wipe away my tears. So, you know, I, um, it seems like. It's not a competition. It's not a competition. (laughs) It seems like, it seems like Mutt Lang and Marie Ann Thibault, like, fell in love with each other and these things happen like i don't want to get like it doesn't seem like they were i don't know cheating for sports like it's i don't know it's not great it devastated shania twain but like three three and a half okay best friend like calming you down on the phone while you're in new zealand like that's that's backstabby that's Um, backstabby that's for the friend trashy divorce it's a good point. Right? Like, I'm pretty good to go with three and a half, yeah. but... Yeah. Girl, you're in danger. Yeah, three and a half, four, yeah. You count on your friends Something not like to that. fuck you over and fuck your husband. Kind of. Yeah. 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 Ah, Stacy. Yeah. But hey, we got to say Nashville wife swap this week, so that's cool. <laughs> really bringing the season to a close strong, I think. Wipe your tears away. That's a lit on season two. That is. We'll be back next week, though, with the start of season three. Doing it like the Yale Daily News. That's a lid. I gotta get crying now. <laughs> now? <laughs> um, thank you for listening. We are so happy to bring Trashy Divorces Thanks, to you. And we will be back next week with the beginning of season three. Oh, you thought there were tears this week? Pshh. Get out your rainbow-colored Kleenex, y'all. It's Pride Week next week. <laughs> Doing this. Um, in Doing the meantime, it in the most surprising of ways. In the meantime, may we suggest that you keep it trashy. Stay single. Don't marry a dude named Roach. It's probably good advice. Or anybody named Trey. Get some therapy from Dr. Ted. That's all I got. Okay. All right. We'll talk to you next week. Cheers, y'all. Cheers. And thanks to you for listening. Trashy Divorces is a Hemlock Creatives production created and produced right here in Atlanta, Georgia by us, Stacy and Alicia, with a little research and writing help from the brilliant Melissa O. Our art is by Sydney V. Smith. That's Sydney V. Smith at carbonmade.com. And our music is used with permission of Ratsy. Check her out at Ratsy's store on Instagram and definitely drop into Ratsy's store anytime you're in Oberlin, Ohio. You can contact us at trashydivorces at gmail.com or find us on the World Wide Web at trashydivorces.com. If you need more trash candy in your life, our Patreon community includes some of the very best humans around and thousands of hours of bonus content at every level of support. Join the fun at patreon.com slash trashydivorces. Interested in some Trashy Divorces swag? Check out our merch shop and Trash Panda Enthusiasm Society at bit.ly 
slash trashy gear. Want to advertise with us? Reach out to sales at advertisecast.com for more information. And last but not least, come play with us on social media. I keep most of our Trashy Divorces Instagram hopping. Stacy and I share it up over on Facebook, including our Trashy Divorces podcast discussion group. Come join us over there, and thanks again, everybody, for listening. Keep it trashy, y'all.